0: going to read our meditation this morning as our opening prayer and then call us to worship. But each week here for the next several weeks, if you come a little bit early, we're going to be singing a few hymns even before we start. So instead of just the prelude going, if you come in, please know you won't be interrupting us. We'll just be singing a few extra hymns as kind of a hymn sing to celebrate the Christmas season. So we appreciate you doing that. But let me read this as you take just a moment in silent prayer. O Lord Jesus Christ, enter my heart. I beseech you and subdue it wholly to yourself. Make me ready to lay at your feet all that I have and am, and to bless you. Lord, grant that after having confessed and worshipped you upon earth, that I may be among the number of those who shall hail your eternal triumph, when every knee shall bow before you, and every tongue confess that you are the Lord. To the glory of of God the Father. Amen. And as we do that this morning, let me call us to worship right here from the sessions that we're studying in Hebrews. Come, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Welcome this morning. I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving opportunity with family and friends this week. It's always good to be able to reunite, especially if you have family or extended family that's away. But we're glad you're back, and I hope you got a bulletin this morning. We do begin this week what we call Advent season. If you've never been a part of that, we're not going to take each week to actually do the the sermons on each topic. But if you're not familiar with Advent and the seasons or the weeks of hope, peace, joy, and love, as we go through the service each week, we will take just a moment And take some time to invite you to let hope, peace, joy, and love fill your hearts during this season. And we've asked different people each year to come and light candles. And obviously, we we don't keep records of everything, but I don't want to scare my seniors in high school to death. I've talked to a few of them already, but we have four seniors in high school. And so I've already talked to the two girls, and they said yes, they would do it. So then the two boys will have to do it just out of pressure when they come. But uh, no, we'll, we'll speak that through, and if not, we'll get some others to do it. But later in the service, uh, we'll begin. Amara will be coming this morning. She'll be graduating uh, this year as well, and as she's uh, looking to do whatever it is God's calling her to do in schools or whatever. But she'll be here later on in the service, but each week I'll let you know as our seniors. We have four seniors, and so if that all works out, they will come to lead us in that time. You'll also see announcements on the back page of your bulletin. I won't waste all the time this morning. I know it's a busy season. We do have the ladies group that's meeting uh, Bible study with uh, Renee and her time in the fellowship hall. We still have the men's meetings going on. Folks, we're still going. Um, but as, as we get farther in and it gets busy, um, we just want you to know, yes, we want you to be a part of everything. But we also realize you can't. And so sometimes you have to focus on the things that your ministry is doing even if you can't be a part of everything else. But we try to align it so that you can. Um, so please pay attention as we go along. If you have questions, please call us. Because up until New Year's Eve, uh, it gets pretty tricky. With I'll be out a few weeks. Nick will be out a few weeks. We'll have different people in. We'll have ministries going on. So it gets to be a real busy month here. So we appreciate your patience. And along that line, our elders and deacons, as they're coming on to train. They've been meeting on Sunday nights. And... Um, Sarah is working in all the children's ministries and the choirs and the pageants and the things. And so I have forgotten even up until this point to even remind you that in the bulletin, you'll see that this morning, there is the Christmas choir and the Christmas pageant. Uh, The Christmas choir is they're going to come and sing a song on Sunday morning as they're preparing. But that Sunday night is also their program. It's, It's only about a half hour long. It's not a very long program. We're not trying to fill a whole service. But this is an opportunity for our children's choir to come and actually lead us. So please mark your calendars. Uh, Elders, I know we've already talked about meeting the next two weeks, uh, going over some special training for our officer training. Um, We'll still do that, but we'll wait until after the pageant is done. So instead of meeting at 5, gentlemen, please just know if you're in town, we'll wait until they're done at 5.30 or so. And then we'll have our class after that so that we can stay on track. So... Uh, We appreciate everyone that's a part of it and helping parents bring your children in and to be a part and support them. Um, I've already worked with Stacy a little bit more. And if you remember when the kids came and shared their scripture, were were any of you here when they came to do their memory verse? And you were expecting them to do one little verse, right? Well, they were telling me about their next passage of scripture. And I thought to myself, our children are passing us up fast. Um, They don't just come to do one verse in front of us. It's amazing what they're doing. And so... Uh, We don't want to miss all that those children are are coming up with in their classes as well. Uh, But you'll see the announcements there. Please take part of that. Um, There will be no Sunday school on Christmas Day. If you have not remembered, it's about once every seven or eight years based on the cycle. But Christmas falls right on Sunday this year. And I had one person ask me if we were going to have service on Sunday. And I thought, if anything, we'll cancel Christmas so that we can be here for service on Sunday. Uh, No, I'm a stickler. Yes, we will be here. I know you may be out and about um, And we will light the christ candle actually for the once every so many years that it works that we do that together uh, On that morning and so we will have a morning service, but everything else that day uh, Will be postponed so that you can spend time uh, If you're able to still come and worship with us So we appreciate all that you're doing for us the decorations the things that go on during christmas time Thank you for being so patient as so many people try to fill in and make it a wonderful time together. Um, but other than that, let me lead us to the throne of grace. We do have a prayer list of theirs. Those who have asked to be prayed for, you'll see that in the bulletin. Um, but we also have some that have silent prayer requests as well. And so this morning, let me ask. I don't do it every week. But if you would like to just let someone know you have a silent prayer request, just lift your hand up for a moment so that while we're praying, thank you for that. While we're praying, we will remember you. During our prayer time this morning. We'll ask the Lord for this. Okay thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And if you would join me in the Lord's prayer at the end. Heavenly Father again this morning as we come to worship. We are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus Christ for us. Lord that as we're reminded this season to go out and to share the joy and the love. Let us not forget to share your son Jesus Christ. The one who truly brings all the hope and peace and joy to our lives. Father, this morning as we worship together, help us to encourage one another. Help us learn from your word the importance of being beside one another in in this walk together in this world as we long for the time that you come to return. Lord, we do pray for each of those on the prayer list. Lord, we know that many are making family decisions. We have those that are facing uh, illnesses and treatments and recoveries. We have those that will be traveling. Uh, Lord, we just ask that you would put your angels around them and protect them. And Lord, let them know that you are still there. Uh, You're with them. Lord, this morning we pray for the silent prayer requests. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the times that we don't even really know what to ask for. We're not even sure what to address. We just know within us there's this discomfort. And Lord, we, we want that to be handled. And we pray that our own desires not get in the way. But that, Lord, you would reveal to us yourself, your Holy Spirit within us, and bring us comfort. Bring us that same assurance that we should have all the time knowing that you're accomplishing your will within us. And, Lord, here this morning, if we could just have that, the comfort of knowing that we're in the center of your will. Lord, that's what we could take with us as we leave. I know we've done nothing again. Lord, I myself nothing this past week at all. To come looking forward to be rewarded for what I've done. I know I'm just here because you've called me. Lord, I pray that others come because you've called them. To come into the presence and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Before Nick comes, Amara's going to come and do a reading, and then he'll come and lead us in our confession. Good
1: morning. As we begin our Advent season and the lighting of the candles of hope, peace, joy, and love, each candle will bring us closer to the time when we recall Jesus' birth as well as his second coming. Isaiah reminds us in chapter 9, verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them the light has shined. In Matthew twenty-five, thirteen, Jesus tells us concerning his return, To watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. May the Lord use this season to draw you and your family closer to him. Today we light the candle of hope. This candle of hope is to remind us to prepare our hearts and minds for the coming of God's Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. It is our prayer through this season, you will trust that Jesus is our hope.
2: Thank you, Amara. That hope candle didn't want to light, did it? Now we have the chance to confess our faith together and you'll see we've got a few more questions than normal. The reason for that is we want to make sure that we get it right. There was one word that was a little bit um, off that, that, that we printed, so we want to make sure that we get it right when we're talking about the visible and the invisible church. So I'll read the question and then let's respond together. Question 61. Are all they saved who hear the gospel and live in the church? All that hear the gospel and live in the visible church are not saved, but only they who are true members of the church invisible. What is the visible church? The visible church is a society made up of all such as in all ages and places. The word do profess the true religion and of their children. What are the special privileges of the invisible church? The visible church hath the privilege of being under God's special care and government, of being protected and preserved in all ages, notwithstanding the opposition of all enemies, and of enjoying the communion of saints, the ordinary means of salvation, and offers of grace by Christ to all the members of it in the ministry of the gospel testifying that whoever believes in him shall be saved and excluding none that will come unto him. What is the invisible church? The invisible church is the whole number of the elect that have been, are, or shall be gathered into one under Christ the head. What special benefits do the members of the invisible church enjoy by Christ? the members of the invisible church by Christ enjoy union and communion with him in grace and glory. Let's join together as we confess our sins in prayer using the prayer that's written before us in the bulletin. We confess to you, almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we have grievously sinned against you. Forgive our sins through Christ Jesus. Make us truly contrite. Fill us with holy fear and give us grace to amend our lives according to your word. Father, restore our souls in Jesus Christ that we may be merciful and kind even as you are. Let your forgiveness make us willing to forgive all wrong which we have suffered and to ask forgiveness for every wrong which we have done. Let our love and charity be abundant and our hearts be made tender to all in need. Help us to give freely for his sake and grant us the power to overcome the world and gain the life eternal through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And hear God's promise. 1 Peter 1, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you you have been healed. Brothers and sisters, trust in him, look to him, every single person in this room, look to Jesus Christ by faith. Turn from your sin and look to him and be assured that your sins are forgiven in his name. Now we have the privilege of worshiping the Lord and giving, so I'm going to ask those who will be receiving this morning's offering to come forward as I pray. So let's go to the Lord in prayer right now. Our great God and Heavenly Father, you are the great giver of all good things. You are sovereign over our lives. You are sovereign in this world. We are the recipient of so many good things from your hand. Most of all, your beloved Son and your Holy Spirit. So Lord, as we worship and giving, may you be pleased uh, with the way that we give and what we give to you, and may you use these gifts for your glory throughout this world. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Hebrews. As we have been studying through this morning, we're in that wonderful section of Hebrews that reminds us that there are also some exhortations or encouragements for us. We've been learning all about this high priest. The great, great priest is the actual words that we get from the texts. When we talk about the high priest and the great high priest, we actually have been learning all about our need for Jesus Christ and this morning one of the best topics in all of scripture and one that's probably the most needed for all of us is the assurance of our faith if I were to ask you this morning to raise your hand and I won't if I were to ask you to look at the person you think needs it the most and I won't I would ask you who do you think needs the assurance of their faith right now If you've walked the path with Christ so close that you've never wandered, never wavered, or even thought, how do I know for certain? Then you're on a path all by yourself because most Christians that have ever been interviewed throughout all the polls and surveys, throughout the books that go out, throughout all the Barna research that takes place, throughout Carl F. George's work on churches, comes to find out that the majority of all Christians at any one given time Could talk about the lack of assurance in their faith. When asked why they lack assurance, many of them would say, I'm not sure I've done enough. We still live in a world, centuries of preaching grace, that still wants salvation to be based on what they've done. It's no wonder that so many of us lack assurance. It's no wonder that so many of us struggle at times because we're finding it hard, even around us, to live within the church knowing that the security of our faith, the assurance of our salvation, the wonder of our home being prepared in heaven for us is all secured not by our works, but by this great, great priest, one who was born into this world and reminds us that he came And they even named him Jesus, our writer uses this morning to remind us that they called him Jesus. Why? Because he would forgive his people of their what? Sins. Do we rest assured in what Jesus has done? Do we rest assured outside of the fact that we want to be perfect? Here in Hebrews chapter 10, we have a wonderful Section that begins in verse 19. I, we left off last week at 11, but it's a reminder of the sacrifice. So I want to jump down a few verses and read to you from 19 to 25 and listen to what the writer of Hebrews has for us and for you this morning, I pray, on understanding the importance of the assurance of our faith. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 10, our writer says, Therefore, brothers... Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But encourage one another. Goes up, and all the more, as you see the day drawing What a blessing that we find encouragement here to remind us of all that has taken place for us. And let me summarize that for you briefly of why it is important that we need this high priest. We get to the point in life where I could ask you the same question. Do you know your need for Jesus? Has society not worn off on you enough? Has not the changes that have taken place, has not the changes in our world Has not the internet which which brought everything into contact with us? Has not all the change, not at all, worn off on you enough that you begin to think it doesn't really matter if it's Jesus, but as long as I believe something sincere, as long as I find that which works for me, and as long as I'm committed to that which I think is right, do you not think it'll all work out? Well, that's the response the generation gives us is that as long as you're committed to whatever it is you're claiming to be true, then you're okay. The problem of it is we come in confrontations with scriptures and our own conscience, our own identity being created in the image of God when we realize this doesn't work that way. There must be something greater. There must be purpose to human life. There must be a reason why I'm formed and fashioned in his image. There must be a goal that's going to be obtained. There must be Something moving all in a direction to bring glory to one who has done all this. Romans tells us and reminds us that we know for certain it wasn't us. I can't tell you that you could be assured of your faith where you are right today. I mean, I could in scriptures. I don't know where you are. But the one thing I can tell you for certain is you're not responsible for your faith. Oh, I don't know where you stand on who created the world and how it was formed and fashioned and how long it took, but I can tell you one thing for certain you didn't do it. You see, scripture reminds us time and time again that when we talk about our faith, the one thing we do know for certain is faith in ourselves is not enough. We did not form and fashion things, we can't change things, we can't set the direction of things. I remember years ago, and you too, I won't belabor the point. When the computer glitch came on the turn of the century. Those of you who weren't computer literate, thank God. Because for anybody that was on computers, began to rework everything in their offices. Because the minute we would go from 99 to 00, the fear was that everything would just quit. Computers couldn't handle it. The glitch would take place. Missiles would be sent. World War III would be on. And we're in trouble. You see, when the world gets together to place its truths in things and put our own selves in control, it always ends in disaster. I bet I could even get more personal and look at your own specific relationships. And if yours were anything like mine, you could probably list a numerous amount of times in which you would say, you know, if I would have just stepped back and let go, it would have worked out a whole lot better. We are not in control. We need somebody who can make things right, who can assure us, comfort us, and lead us in the way we should go. And the writer of Hebrews steps in after all this depth of who Jesus is and the meaning in his relationship to the sacrifice and to the temple and to the tabernacle and how he fulfills the sacrificial systems and how the law points to him. All the depth of this now comes to an applicable point when he now says what we need the most is a high priest for two reasons. One, we need someone who can identify with us. You know, most people who have friends in their circle of life is because they're the people who identify with you. Men, I could say it humbly, and I've said it before. For most women, if I asked you today how many friends you have, you could probably go down a list of those that you have breakfast with or those that you pray with or those that you're sharing mugs with or those that you've had kids with or done sports with and you've made friends. Men, if I asked you to list the number of men in your life that are friends with you because they identify with you, Most of you couldn't fill one hand. Having someone identify with us is difficult. Does that imply something is wrong with me? Does it imply that I need to change? Do I need to be like them? Is it peer pressure? What is it that I really need in life? Why is it that I'm struggling? Why is my mind not at ease? Why is my heart not resting? Why does life get like this? And why does it, when Christmas rolls around, suicide runs rampant, higher than any other time of the year? In a time in which joy, love, hope, and peace should be shared, it's when we skyrocket around the world that life is meaningless and not worth living. The writer simply tells us, Brothers, we have confidence. I want to speak to you this morning about why we need this high priest. One, he identifies with us. Number two, he gives us access into God's presence. I'll tell you why you need Jesus this morning. I'll make it short, simple, and sweet. You can't be in the presence of God without him. You'll never get close. You'll never be where you need to be. Without Jesus Christ, you are lost. That's the word that's used. We need a priest who can not only identify with us and relate to us and fulfill our needs and accomplish what we need, but we need a priest who can get us into the presence of God. Is that where you are this morning? This morning when you woke up, did you revel in the day that was new, in the week that you had, in the vacation that was coming or done passed by, or did you revel because you woke in the presence of God? Thank you, God, for one more day. Thank you for allowing me to glorify you for a little bit longer. Thank you for allowing my family to see your truths, to see the paths. You see, being in the presence of God isn't only for eternity's sake, someplace where he's prepared it for us. We learn that the high priest is here today, the importance of what we need, the importance of leading us. So many today have put their faith in something else, into whatever it is that identifies with them, but cannot put them in the presence of God. Ken Ham, when he wrote the book, The College Kids That Leave Us, The Colleges That Have Left Us, I write several books in a series, if you ever want to read them, that talk about why it is when our teenagers go off to college, they leave the faith. Why it is many of our Christian colleges have already left the faith. Because we're living in a world that wants to identify with others more than they want to be in the presence of God. We want a high priest, a religion, a system, a church. We want something that makes us feel welcome. We want to be in a church where we can come as we are. We want to be in a church where no one will ever condemn us. No one will look down on us. No one will ever question us. We want to be able to make our own choices and live our own lives and make our own choices on the truths of Scripture. We want people to question that. We want to go to a church. We don't want people to ask about our marriages. We don't want people to ask how we're doing. We don't want people to ask about our children and all of a sudden realize that now I've got to talk about the truths. We want to go to a church that we can identify with for who I am, what makes me feel good. I want to sing the songs that I like. I want to study the books that I understand. I want to do the ministries that I think are important. You see, it's amazing we still live in a body of Christ where people are still thinking about self. The problem with all of these, even other religions, other philosophies, other groups... Whether you're hanging out with friends at the bar, whether you're hanging out trying to find a mate somewhere else. I remember the day my sister had told me she was so frustrated that I just didn't understand that God never seemed to give her the person she was looking for. And I remember saying to her, wonderful, my sister's a wonderful person, but I remember saying to her, why are you looking at the bars? Why are you hanging out at the evil hours of the night with people who are leaving their wives and children back at the home, people who can't seem to make it work one time around, and hoping that you're gonna find the person that's gonna make it right for you. Now, I'm not saying God can't do that. You may be one who has done that. I remember when the internet dating first started out and how many of us were so skeptical that how could you find anybody on the internet? How could you really get to know somebody on the internet? Folks, we stand humbled today because the internet has brought people so close that many of the relationships that were found on the internet are probably stronger than the ones that were made at home. You didn't have the pressure of being locked up with someone your parents wanted. You didn't have that pressure of being formed and pushed into a situation that everybody thinks you should have. I don't think I'm the greatest person in the world or the best looking that's out there. I'm definitely not the smartest. I used to think I was the fastest, but as age creeps on me, I realize that's not true. But when I moved to the South for the very first time coming from Colorado, I thought I was everything. Because I learned what it meant to be in the South, and I say this gently, to be a young girl raised in the South and to be 18 years old and not have somebody already picked out. You were on the path to being an old maid. That's why my wife married me. No, but I remember, and my wife can now tell you, because she was there at the times. I was 24. I was single. I was a pastor. I was a preacher, and all pastors and preachers are perfect people who would not want a pastor for their daughter, and so I met so many young people in the church. I was even introduced to one by the name of Allison one time when Rachel brought her to me and simply said, Pastor Jerry, I wanted you to meet my daughter. Her name is Allison. She's 24, and she's single just like you. I've had my daughter introduced in Evansville by an elder in the church that I was so embarrassed. When a young man visited our church, and the elder took my daughter and said, Hey, I wanted to introduce you to Anna. She's your age, and she's not seeing anybody either. It wasn't just in the South. We want to identify. We're afraid we're going to be lonely. Things aren't going to work out. Society has a picture for us. And so we join the local group, the local club, the local sports team. We have our hangouts together We're places we can just be because we want to identify and we have found our answer in all kinds of things. But what we're lacking most is these things today that we identify with aren't able to bring us into the presence of God. Your spouse Women, I, I trust me, your spouse isn't perfect. Shh. Men, your spouse is. <laughs> it won't be the question that Jesus says to the Father, Lord, let them in, for their spouse was perfect. Their spouse saved them. Go ahead and let them come. They weren't the best, but their children were great accomplished a lot more than they did oh we can't keep them out they were raunchy but their parents were great evangelists that's not how it works it's not about how you identified with things here do you have Jesus Christ and his blood shed on your life do you have the resemblance of perfection because the blood of Jesus has flowed over you do you have the relationship that brings you into the presence of the Almighty? That's all that's right here when he says, therefore, brothers, all that took place in verse 19, we have confidence to enter this holy place by the blood of Jesus. He doesn't call him the Christ as he has before. He brings it up to the point of salvation by this new and living way. We can now draw near to God. He's opened the avenue. It says by the new and living way that he opened for us through this curtain. The words for opened if you need it is et kanidzo the word for enter. These are the same words, isados They're all the words that point. The word way, hados, point to what it means to have a change since the Old Testament. Something has changed radically that we didn't have before. We didn't have an opened way. We didn't have a way to enter. We didn't even have a way. And in one text, the writer says to us, But through the blood of Christ, you now have a way. It is opened and you can enter. What's keeping you from the presence of God? What's keeping you from becoming so close to the one who chose you? Are you still hanging on to the glories of today? Just one more year? Just a little more savings? Just a few more prizes, recognitions? Just a couple more opportunities? And then I'll be ready. What is it that you're identifying with today that's actually keeping you from the presence of the Father? For many of us on our side, including pastors, men. It's our careers. We were created to work and bring glory to God. But Satan has stepped in, and now we find our glory in our work. And our work comes first. I humbly tell you that as a pastor, it's no different. If we're not careful, being a pastor takes precedence over being a father, over being a spouse. We're all tempted to identify with the things that make us feel right here rather than having access to the Father. But it has now been opened. Look at verse 20. It's very important. It says, by the new and living way that he had opened for us through the curtain. I want you to underline that word if you're in the ESV. That is, through his flesh, those two go together in the Greek. One is identifying the noun, the curtain, not the way. His flesh, as many would say in some of the translations, is that we have this new and living way according to his flesh. And it makes it sound like his flesh is identifying this new way. That is not what it's saying. What he's saying is the body, the flesh of Christ, is identifying and giving us the clue to the curtain. Those are the two that it's describing. His body is identifying the curtain. And if you understand the history to that, you understand what it was that separated all the people from the presence of God. They didn't have a way. They could not enter. It was not open. But it wasn't until the body of Jesus Christ, His flesh, come from heaven, made man for us. When He died on the cross, His flesh did what to the curtain? You know the story. If you haven't read it, the, the veil that was there in the temple, what happened to it? It was rent in twain. It was opened. There was now access. So please highlight this verse. It's not about a new and living way. It's not about something that you can choose by yourself. It's not that now that Christ has come, you can live a different life. No, it's that his flesh identifies the curtain. And if you don't have the body of Jesus Christ shed for you, you, you've done nothing to the curtain. It's still closed. It's still shut. Buddha couldn't open it. Muhammad couldn't open it. Confucius couldn't open it. The New Age in Hinduism and all the Vedantes, and the writing, couldn't open it. All the Sutra scrolls that were written in the wisdom of Buddha or Siddhartha, it couldn't open it. We couldn't get to Zarathustra, the prophet of Zoroastrianism, and he couldn't open it. I can take you through the journeys of the history of time and tell you that what separates Christianity from everything else in the world is that every religion in the world is man's attempt to open that curtain to God? And they find things that they can identify with and they think they've got the answer and they fall short and stop at the curtain. But in Jesus Christ, we don't come to open the curtain. It's from the Holy of Holies that God opens the curtain. To us. Christianity isn't man's attempt to find God. What separates us from everything else is Christianity is about God's activity to reach man. You didn't choose him, he what? He chose you. You love him because he first what? Loved you. Put those two together because when you understand that it was his body that became the curtain, the one that has now opened it up, it's become this new and living way. The word new there that's translated or living is that same word that is new in time, new in appointedness. It's now made afresh. It never happened before. We have a new way because we didn't have one before. We can enter because we couldn't before. And we have this great high priest now that's giving us all these opportunities here in this life. Listen to what he says. By this new and living way, he opened by his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. Folks, that's today. Yes, he sent his Holy Spirit to comfort us, to work in our hearts, but we still have a high priest today who's ruling and reigning for us, interceding for us, watching over us and helping us into the presence of God today. Again, I'll let you stay silent if you wish. How many of you prayed this morning? How many of you in the presence of God prayed, Lord, let today's worship be better than it's ever been? Let the veil be open today for some who've never seen the Holy of Holies. Open your presence to another one this morning, Lord. We have all this access. Gentlemen, in the book of Ephesians, you were given to cover your wife, that as you would be the glory of Christ, she would be the glory of man. That she could follow you right into the presence of the Lord. Men, I ask you humbly, have you helped your wife through the curtain? Have you at least shared the message? Have you told your children about his flesh? About what he's done? About why we want them to make choices for Christ? Are we living in the presence? Or we just say we like to rather identify here on earth? Oh, here's what he says. If we understand it, we have this wonderful words. They're the biblical words, not mine. It's not my great sermon outline. They come right from here. But we have this conviction of our faith if we understand it. We have this confession of our hope, and we have this uh, way to consider our love. Do you catch the words that he's using? Listen to these following verses. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Circle that. Circle the word faith. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our what? Our hope. Circle that word. Verse 24, let us stir up one another on how to what? Love. Do you catch the words here? Faith, hope, and love. Do you ever remember hearing those words before? Have you ever read 1 Corinthians 13 in a chapter that was written not for weddings, but in the midst of churches that were battling over the use of gifts? Between chapters 12 and 14 and how a church should function, Paul didn't write 1 Corinthians 13 so that every marriage could be quoted. He wrote it because in order to bring a church together, the three things they would need would be what? Faith, hope, and love. You could go to Colossians chapter 1, read the first few verses from 3 on down, and realize that Paul writes again about the necessity of our faith, hope, and love. What you don't realize is the writer of Hebrews just outlined the next couple chapters for you as he outlines the necessity of faith hope and love this is what happens when we're to the presence of the father why we should come number one write it down it's their words let us draw near with a full assurance of faith we have conviction that's where you should be this morning the assurance of your faith brings conviction let us come near Are you convinced that God has done all that he's needed to do to let you in? Are you convinced that your sins are forgiven? Are you convinced that your life's been cleansed? I didn't ask you if you're convinced you're the best parent, convinced that you're the best worker, convinced that you're the best deacon or elder. That's not part of the scenario. But are you convinced that God has done all that he's needed to do for you? That's what it means to have faith. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Oh, we begin to get into the depths of the practical side of this book when we realize that we now have hearts that are sprinkled clean, washed with pure water, references to our baptism in our heart. Folks, please don't get the two mixed up. This isn't a sermon on your baptism. It is a sermon on your faith. However you've been baptized, however you've been washed, however you've been sprinkled, We've looked at this from baptizo to baptos to baptos. We've looked at how people have been immersed or sprinkled and poured. We've seen it through the book of Hebrews. But I will tell you this. It's the outside effect that people are identifying with the church. It's the sprinkling of the water that symbolized what was in the heart. Let me summarize for you very quickly. Maybe you've been baptized and you feel good about it because now you identify with the people here. And the people here cannot bring you into the presence of God. I hope your baptism, whenever it took place, however it was performed, and whoever did it, is not what you think is going to bring you to the presence of God. It's a symbol of what has taken place inside where the writer says, we draw near because our hearts have been cleaned. An evil conscience is gone. There's no more thought about ourselves. That's what makes it evil. I'm fully convinced of that. The conscience is bad because it always thinks about us, about ourselves. And when we get into the presence of God, we realize this was all about him. You need to have assurance of your faith. You need to have this conviction. We've been changed on the inside. Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceitful above all things. But Jeremiah 31 says that we've been given a new heart, a heart of flesh, not of stone, one that he's written on. You see, there's this miraculous change that God does in your life. And that's why you should have the full conviction of faith, not works. This morning, I challenge you, don't leave this place without the conviction that it's your faith in Christ, not your works that brings you to the presence of God. He also says this in the next part when he says, well then let us draw or let us hold fast the confession of our hope. We've got to have something to confess. Verse 23 reminds us that we are like Israel, living in a wilderness, and as they hoped and longed for the day that they would reach paradise... We, too, long and hope for the day that we will reach eternity with the Father in heaven, that mansion that he's prepared for us. But, oh, as we undergo the testing, as the Israelites did, en route to the promised land, you, too, are going to fail, falter, and fall. But you have the conviction of your faith. And now you have this confession of a hope not to waver. Don't give in. You don't have to give in. You have a God who is faithful. You don't have to look back. And one of the wonderful things I love about the Christian life is I haven't had to spend my life looking back at the things that I had failed at. I can look forward to what it is God has coming for me. Oh, I don't know about you, but if I looked back, I could be depressed. But if I just keep looking forward... With my eyes fixed on the author and finisher of my faith. I have a hope to confess. That one day. I will receive that which God has promised me. Not which I have earned. My heart is no longer evil. I am a failure. Please don't tell everybody that. But it's the truth. I have fallen. But I have faith. I have a conviction in my faith. That this is about Jesus. And I will confess my hope in him. Because it's his promises to come true. Not mine. And finally he says in the next one. So let us consider how to stir one another up. To love. Have you been stirred for love? If you haven't I'll tell you up front. It usually hurts. The word for stirring up there is the Greek word para which is the same word that is used when Paul and Barnabas are fighting over John Mark. In other words, it's the same word that talks about strong disagreements that take place that need to be fixed. It's the same word that stimulates points of discomfort in a person's life. What he's saying is that I encourage you to bring up a point of discomfort when you need to about love, sometimes poking people in the right direction hurts. Sometimes speaking the truth in what hurts. But are we stirring up one another so that we're discomfort with a lackadaisical, laid back, non loving lifestyle? We're just happy because Jesus chose us and we're going to be in heaven. And the truth of it is, if you don't like me, I don't care because God does. And when God calls me home, he's not going to ask me if I like you either. So it doesn't matter which way we go. That's not it. The truth of it is we're stirring one another up. Do you really love your neighbor? Jesus tells us the only way to prove you love God is by what? Loving your neighbor. That is the truth that you want to be in the presence of God. Stirring one another up is not comforting. Sometimes we have to tell our children, our neighbors, our own elders and deacons, man, that wasn't right. You ought to reconsider that. You ought to listen to the family. Because it's the body that matters. Tell the truth. There's so much going on that's drawing our next generation. Listen to what it says. If we consider how to do all this, why? Why do we need a convicting faith? Why do we need a confession of hope? Why is it that we need to consider this love? Because look at the next verse. We're we're neglecting meeting together. That's why he says don't do it. We're living in a generation where our children are saying, I can love the Lord and I don't have to go to church. Why do I have to be a member of a church? That's a man-made thing. I don't even find that in scripture. We don't need to be a part of the body. I have my own home cell group. I have my little core group. We always pray together. We accomplish what we want. We do our own Bible studies. Folks, the church is being depleted in a generation of people that have began to neglect the gathering together of believers. That's a phrase that is used to describe the body of Christ. God's called you to worship. And we're living in a generation that says, I don't care that God's called me to worship. I have other things I need to do. I had plans already made. We've had things we've wanted to accomplish. It just doesn't fit my schedule. But it doesn't mean I don't love Jesus. Do actions speak louder than words? Is your pastor allowed to stir you up to love one another? All of a sudden, we realize, last but not least, we're called to accountability this coming. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Paraduntas. So similar to the word paraclete. When you do encourage one another, is it comforting? I will tell you this, sometimes love hurts, but more importantly, it's the truth that hurts. You can always put a facade on all kinds of things, but you can't dwindle the truth. First Peter chapter 3 puts them in context when he says this. 1 Peter chapter 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance imperishable. Undefiled and unfading, Kept in heaven for you conviction of faith confession of hope considering that love he's got it all waiting for you Paul wrote Romans 13 when he simply said love does no wrong to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfilling of the law Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Do you have the assurance of faith? The conviction that God has laid it all out for you? Are you confessing the hope that it's God's promises that are going to come to fruition? And are you considering the love that he's given us that we would share that with others? If that's you this morning, you can have the assurance of faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Father, thank you for forgiving us. For letting your word and using your word to stir up within us. To push us to a point of disturbance. A point of conflict that arises between us and you. That Lord, we would be confronted with the truth that it's not how the world identifies with us that matters. It's that your son already identified with us. And we need someone who can bring us to you. Help us tell our children no matter what they found in this world no matter what program it is no matter what place they feel accepted it must be through your son that they'll find the presence to the holy place. Forgive us for thinking we could make it on our own. Forgive us for attempting to be there on our own works and help us draw near. We will give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Benediction Paul simply said, And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And God's children said, Amen. Amen. Have a great Lord's Day.